This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week, two pretty all right people that I know. <laughs> Paul Jaisley. Hello. And Nick White. Hey. Thank you both for joining me this week. I'm super excited to talk about the thing we talk about every single week. So let me get that chat started by asking the question I ask every single week. How have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Paul. I've been doing all right, Mike. Um, I've been trying to do this thing where if I'm reading comics, I try to stay up on my weekly you know, floppies, which can be a hassle sometimes. But I'm also making sure I make time to do a lot of binge reading on my tablet, catch up on nice. my digital stuff, on my hoopla books and all that. So I tried to do that this week. I had a, um, a pretty uh, sizable stack of comics waiting for me this week at the comic shop. And um, the one thing that I read this week that I kind of wanted to talk about was uh, the first issue of the Female Furies miniseries that DC is doing. Uh, oh, cool. F- Female Furies number one. Written by Cecil Castellucci, art by Adriana Mello. Um, so this book focuses on part of the Kirby Fourth World mythology, the Female Furies, which is a group of women soldiers. Uh, Big Barda's probably the most well-known member. But they're mm-hmm. led by Granny Goodness. And this book is kind of like the origin story of how they came together. Um, and what's interesting is a lot of the book is told in flashbacks. So you get the introduction to how Granny Goodness became the charge of the orphanage there on Apocalypse, training Big Barda, training Scott Free. And what's interesting about the book, or maybe my, my hang up with it, is that the characterization between Barda... I'm sorry, the characterization between Granny Goodness, Darkseid, Desaad, the other people on Apocalypse feels off to me because the main thrust of this issue is Darkseid and his male compatriots don't think the female furies are as strong or as capable as the male soldiers on Apocalypse. So it's about, mm. you know, misogyny, gender inequality. It's all important stuff. And I think those are topics that are should be addressed in comics. Like, I, I don't have an issue with that. I think it's well handled by the story, but... In order for that story to work, you kind of have to change those characters in a way that didn't work for me, especially Darkseid. Um, okay. There's a moment in the story, and I don't want to give away too much, uh, but there's a moment in the story where, you know, basically it is a sort of a sexual situation between Darkseid and Granny Goodness where he's using his authority to pressure into a situation. And, like, when I read Kirby's uh, New God stuff, Darkseid is always behind the scenes, master manipulator, doesn't really get too hands-on, not to, mm-hmm. pun not intended, but um, yeah. <laughs> um, but it didn't work for me because that's, it. Did, so Darkseid didn't really quite work in the story for me. And like a character like Desaad, who in the, DC, who in the Kirby stuff is, um, you know, like hiding in the shadows. He's not very assertive. In this story, he's like making fun of Granny Goodness a lot. He's he's uh, very vocal and it didn't, didn't quite click for me, but... I think there's an interesting story to be told if it's the origin story for this group. All that could be could change over time. I think that's the story. So, gotcha. I don't know. I like the artwork a lot. I think Mello's artwork it reminded me of Kevin McGuire at, at moments, the facial expressions and sort of the clean lines. So I really, really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. I think this is a book that's going to be. I'll read it when it's collected in trade. Maybe not buy it month to month, but so. Um, in terms of my binge reading, I read a big chunk of the Judge Dread Complete Case Files number one. This collects the early Dread stories from 2000 AD issues two through about 60. So about a year's worth of Dread stories. Wow. And this stuff is great. Um, <laughs> it's great. Because uh, I first started reading Dread with the Complete Case Files number five, which is you know, uh-huh. like five years down the road. It's interesting to go back and read the early stuff because it's so different. They're not quite sure what Judge Dread is going to be. 
it's like a parody of Dirty Harry in a way. Those like American like uh, action cop movies from the seventies with sure, a sci-fi yeah. twist, and like Dread isn't quite defined as a character. So the stories are like kind of like all over the place in terms of tone and content, but there are little things that will later on become part of the Dread mythology. Like very early in the volume, you get the introduction of Dread's brother Rico. And, um, you know, Rico's a corrupt cop who spent 20 years on Titan, which is the moon where they send corrupt cops to work in a, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, prison, like slave labor camp. So that's all very important Dread stuff that'll come back and be a big part of the story later, like decades down the road. So it's interesting to see it right away. Um, but it's really fun stuff. The thing is, like, they're all like six to eight page stories. You can read a ton of them in a row. Most of them are like standalone stories or maybe like two parters, but they all seem to run together if you read a lot of them back to back. Which mm-hmm. my favorite story, though, is one where Dread discovers there's an underground illegal comic book ring where somebody somebody is supplying old comic books and selling them to kids under the table. And there's a moment where Judge Dredd is like on his motorcycle, the you know the lawgiver, and he's like, selling comics to kids is the one of the worst crimes there is. The comics are so exciting, they can't get enough, and the price of them just keeps going up and up. And I'm like, oh my God, that's so great. He predicted that's amazing. our future. I'm glad to hear Diamond finally gets its due. <laughs> <laughs> and then like, of course, the twist at the end is like, they go back to police headquarters after he breaks up the ring, and like, they're looking at the the comics that they have on the data files. And it's like, oh, no wonder these comics are so expensive. They're old issues of that famous 20th century comic, 2000 AD. They're great. Kids love them. Like, it's uh, it's really great. Uh, oh, Such God, a fun story. That. So, yeah. That's Nintendo's, awesome. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, cool. Um, see, this is this is just more encouragement to read Judge Dredd. It's just fun, wacky time, guys. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> Nick, how about you? How have you been? How have comic books been? Uh, things have been fine. It's a, I feel like a broken record, but it's snowing again like crazy over Mm -hmm. here in West Michigan. What do you want? I guess that's how it is. Uh, beyond that, I've been, uh, drowning in the world that is Kingdom Hearts 3, I guess. Um, no, (laughs) I've been watching too many people playing it like online. And then Jordan and I hung out last night and he got Kingdom Hearts 3 and, um, uh, it's just uh, interesting to watch him play it because he actually reads all of the instructions and and uh, pays attention to what you're supposed to do instead of skipping all of it and then wondering two hours later why you're struggling. Right, Here's looking right. at you, YouTube Let's Players making more money than me. Suck it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> who is the winner now? Um, let's not get into that. Uh, here are some things I read to to deflect from that conversation. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I read Exo Man of War 20 and 21. For anyone who's paying attention, yes, this is a few months behind. Ever since I heard that Matt Kent was basically going to be getting off this book around 27 or 28, I was like, well, I kind of got to make this last. These issues right. are, uh, they have Juan Jose Reap on pencils, and it really has to do with the fallout from... I think what would technically be the first volume of Divinity. Uh, For those who forgot, in Divinity, we have the USSR uh, cosmonaut goes into space, comes back, forever changed due to cosmic encounters, blah, 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 ends up with godlike powers. And we kind of forget that when he comes back, he ends up basically creating a cult around his, uh, you know, God, you know, his, his, you know, the fact that he's a deity, 
and it basically becomes this group called the Brothers of the Bomb. Oh, boy. And we've had small encounters with them in the past, uh, but now we're seeing what happens when, like, <laughs> the cult leader, like, leaves the cult, and the cult decides it still <laughs> wants to keep doing its thing. Uh, and so we've got some of that going on. It's it's fun. It's interesting. It feels very episodic, but we're getting the leader of Gate, whose name I can't remember, but she's really awesome, uh, and it's nice to see her again, even though clearly I can't remember her name. Uh, beyond that, I also read Umbrella Academy Volume 1, Apocalypse Suite, for those who follow the Top of My Pull List document, uh, sorry, Top of My Pile document on uh, Patreon. I mentioned that I was planning to read this book, and I did, so there you go. Uh, do you want me to redo that? Yes. Yeah, I <laughs> less, thought so. With less groans, please. Yeah, sorry. I, I forget all of these stupid things. Um, so, for those who follow Top of My Pull, the weekly document that we put out over on Patreon... I mentioned for this week that I was going to get around to reading The Umbrella Academy, Volume 1, Apocalypse Suite, and I was true to my word, and I did get around to reading that. Again, mm. for those who didn't read the document, uh, that was mainly because I wanted to be the guy who said, you know what, I'm going to read the book first, you know, the person that everyone just universally despises. Right. So right. I got through that. And for those unaware, that's Gerard Way writing, Gabriel Ba on pencil, Dave Stewart colors, Nate Picos letters. This originally came out in 2008 as a six-issue collection. Uh, the basic premise is, is interesting. Um, you have 43 children that are born all over the world, all at the same moment, to mostly single women who had previously shown no signs of pregnancy. Those who survived the process are abandoned or put up for adoption, which, I mean, like, yikes. You have this guy called Reginald Hargraves. Sorry, Sir Reginald Hargraves. He's an Olympian, an inventor, also an alien. He tracks down and adopts as many of the kids as possible. Yes, now it's Pokemon. Gotta catch them all. He only gets seven, so not that good. Uh, when asked why he did it, he says to save the world. And we really don't get much more about that at that time. The book sort of jumps around from there. We flash forward ten years into the future to see them battle uh, an Eiffel Tower gone mad, and then 20 years into the future from there, now they're 30, they're largely estranged from one another, begrudgingly brought back together for the death of their adopted father. So these are all, like, well-worn beats we've seen before. The, you know, once the team that once got along breaks up, and we're left to figure out why it happened and what sort of uh, wrenches uh, exist in their interactions and relationships with one another. Right. right. We've 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 seen this before, and then they're you know brought back together by some tragedy, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes familiarity helps sort of put readers, I think, on the right track to, you know, if, if you have a familiar foundation that readers can relate with, then you can go ahead and take that and gravitate it towards something perhaps a bit weirder. But this book really just feels a lot like Royal Tenenbaums meets X-Men, basically. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. And there's, and there's <laughs> nothing necessarily wrong with that either. But like, even on an aesthetic level, it really basically feels like that analogy yeah, works. Yeah. Uh, there's an, it feels a lot like Black Hammer, 
Black Hammer feels more layered, but it's also kind of unfair to make that assessment uh, in full when I've only read the first volume of Umbrella Academy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, yeah, it, it's it's more or less X-Men if Xavier was a real bad dad, like a real bad dad. <laughs> Wait, hold um, on, Nick. I don't think you've read enough X-Men. He is the worst dad according oh, to recent chronology. Okay. <laughs> Maybe this guy's like less subtle about it or maybe sure, sure. i mean let me let me just give you a quote i this book ends every issue with everything from uh, a weather report to a like census table mm-hmm. <laughs> to um one one time they pull out a quote from this sir reginald guy he was giving a speech talking about the kids Uh, And he says, in closing, I'd like to point out that I never desired to break the children. I merely sought to foster their potential, which was unfortunately never that vast. (laughs) Oof. (laughs) Um, wow. Uh (laughs) Uh, He doesn't want them to call him father. He insists on being called the monocle. Okay. He also, in turn, addresses them by numbers he assigned them. Which you've seen oh. if you've seen like a show like Dark Matter, you're used to this stupid setup of having characters that are all known by numbers. Which at the beginning you're like, this is dumb, and then eventually you're like, yeah, but two said he was going to kill Six's father, and that totally makes sense. And I'm sure I'm going to arrive at that point. It helps sure. that they all have superhero code names too. Yeah. Uh, but here's the here's the catch with that part. Okay, the numbers. It's not a random assigning thing or the order in which he found them. It's the order in which they're useful to him. So he's numerically assigned them numbers based on their utility. Uh, <laughs> which is, I mean, uh, is it bad that I was like, I need to read more of this book. This guy's a real jerk. Yeah, this is he- like daddy issues. Like this is this isn't even like daddy issues one one. This is like daddy issues four o two. Here's your TA. <laughs> get to work. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, this has been on my list to read for a while. So I I, I know that I need to read it because the show's coming out. Because I also want to be that guy. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it, it's a book that's been out for almost for over ten years, and I haven't read it, and it's gotten such like wide acclaim as being such a fantastic story like it's one of those series that like i really should sit down and read it i just haven't done it yeah it's 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 fun and the power set goes everything from like a guy who has super strength to a kid who can hold his breath indefinitely i guess that's something um okay (laughs) to uh a girl i think this one's really interesting uh who goes by the name the rumor and she can alter reality by telling lies so if she's what number is she She's number three. Surprisingly, How? the kid who How? can hold his breath indefinitely is number two. I don't know what this guy's priorities are, but honest <laughs> to God. Um, so, I mean, d- debate amongst your friends with that one. But so, if if she's being chased by, if there's like a car chase and she says something like, gee, it looks like your muffler just fell off, then, you know, the muffler falls off the car. So, how is that not like infinite power? Yeah. And yeah. Then of course, number seven no actual powers. Okay. <laughs> Number okay. seven is no actual powers. So that makes um, sense. I can yeah. understand that. I, I've enjoyed it. The weird thing I've noticed, the last thing I'll just say about that briefly is from the trailers and things that I've seen for the show, mm-hmm. it seems like it's a lot of stuff that's either not in the books or not in volume one. Like it really feels like volume one is not a major presence within the show. 
I think Jordan was saying it looks like there's a lot more from volume two that's actually in the show. So anyway, yeah. again, it, it's good. It's not revolutionary, but I mean, the art's great. It's an interesting foundation. I'll report back when I've read more. Cool. What, what about you, Mike? For me this week, I read a bunch of comics actually, but the ones that I really want to talk about, um, my pick last week was Age of X-Men Next Gen number one. The follow-up that I want to just deliver here is it was good. God damn it, they're doing something good over at the X-Men headquarters, and I'm I'm all here. I'm here for it. Because I know X-Man Scott and Gene's son. Yes. Oh, yes. thank I, God. Really, I don't know where everyone I should just from. listen to last week's episode, especially the after the credits, because um we went real deep on who Nate Gray was in a lot of different ways. Um, but anyways, the follow-up from last week was that it's a solid book. I highly recommend it. If you guys are... If anybody's buying into this Age of X-Men stuff like I am, at least pick up Next Gen. It was probably the most fun I've had in an X-Men book in a long time. Um, just because it's it's focusing on characters that are goofy. And that's, that's what I want with my X-Men books. Um, so, yeah. Otherwise, I did also read a story, uh, the first volume of a series called Oh Human Star, which is an ongoing webcomic. And if, if you don't own this, you don't have to buy it. You can go read it. Just look for O, the letter O, Human Star. There's a website you can go and read the entire comic. It's fantastic. This is a series by Blue Delaquante. The story is Alistair Sterling was the inventor who sparked the robot revolution, and because of his sudden death, he didn't get to see any of it. That is, until he unexpectedly wakes up in a robot body that matches his old one exactly and finds out that 16 years have passed. Now, right there, that should hook you. I don't care who you are. That's a cool idea. All right? <laughs> and When you say robot revolution, do you mean like, wow, robotics have flourished, or, no. oh, God, the robots are killing us? I mean, the robots have flourished. Now they are. Okay. Robots are sentient beings that live among humans in the world. They work as your driver. They could also work at the library. You know, they, they're people, as, for the most part, as equal as humans. Now, the specifics Not if of at the that library, but I mean, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the specifics of the whole where do humans sit along with robots hasn't fully been explored in the story, but the overall, this first volume super slayed me. It like gave me some backstory about Alistair, the character, as well as his partner, Brendan Pinsky, who was there working on these robots short, right before um, Alistair died. And you meet this character named Sulla, who is a clone of Alistair, but slightly different. And there's there's so many questions about this story, but the focal bits of volume one is about what happened in those 16 years be between when Alistair died and when he came back to life, how his company became the number one robotics company in the world, and what it means to be alive even though you're a robot. And you start to ask these questions, and every time you're like, well, what about this thing? The book hits you with some other interesting plot point. So you don't have time to actually think about the questions you may have, because there's so much other stuff going on in the story. And this is one of those webcomics that is like a page-a-day kind of story. So every single page has to be interesting, because if you're reading this regularly, if you're up to date... You need an interesting hook every single week. I mean, maybe after 144 chapters or pages, you don't necessarily need that. But nonetheless, the story is written in such a way that every page captures you. And I sat down with volume one and I couldn't stop reading. This is one of those books that just sucked me right in. And I literally like couldn't stop. I needed to finish the volume. And volume one ends at the end of quote unquote chapter three three which is about 140 pages so like the chapters are pretty long here um and the hook at the end was like a nice conclusion to the arc 
but also forced me to go out and buy the next volume. Like I immediately was like, okay, that's the easiest purchase I've made this week. And I know that there's a whole bit about Mike, you're not buying backlog books. You're not buying old books. I don't give a shit. All right, I don't, I'm, I'm reading this book. It's too beautiful for me to not buy. Mike so Raffin, make the rule, break the rule. <laughs> yeah, and so if you're looking for something that's a little bit off the wall, that's independent, that's made by a one and done creator, I highly recommend Oh Human Star. It's such a beautiful, well told story. There's so much emotion in it, and I honestly was just blown away. Like I've been, I've seen this book for a long time, like on Comicsology, and I've seen other people recommend it. And I was like, oh, that, I don't actually know what it's about. I like the color or the covers, but I, don't, I never looked into it. And so going into it, I went completely blind. I did no research and I got super sucked in. Um, and so you can pick it up for five bucks on Comixology or from the creator themselves, or you can just go read it all online for free. But I highly recommend you support this creator. This book is gorgeous. Like the art is beautiful. The storytelling is beautiful. It's so well done. I was really, really impressed with this volume. All right. He sold me. me. He sold me, Mike. I, so. I, I really recommend it. Go read the first chapter online, and if you'd love it, you got you should buy the rest of it. It's it. worth it. It truly is. Cool. Um, otherwise, let's let's talk about comics that are coming out this upcoming week. Comic books are dropping on February twentieth, two thousand nineteen. What are you guys excited for this week? I know I listed three books, but please, <laughs> it was just for jokes. <laughs> let's start with you, Nick. So for me, my pick this week is Incursion number one. It's written by Andy Diggle and Alex Packnadel. Can't wait to find out that one's wrong. And illustrated by Doug Brathwaite. And yeah, it's true. I know I've been wearing my The End Is Nigh sandwich boards in regards to Valiant Comics lately. Uh, I won't deny that the first two issues of Bloodshot Rising Spirit were probably two of the worst issues I've read in a while. And I recently also passed on the advanced solicits for Cullen Bunn's Punk Mambo because he seems like a terrible fit. But all of that negativity aside, and my own apocalyptic visions regarding the future of this publisher, um, mm-hmm. I do have some faith in Incursion. I, I do think this book has the potential to really be something good. Uh, Andy Diggle actually really surprised me with the unique ideas that he brought to his 2018 run on Shadow Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if I read it very begrudgingly as I felt he was a super poor fit for that book and the first arc wasn't that great, but he had some really revolutionary ideas with the second arc where we visited um, a whole bunch of Shadow Man's different ancestors or the people who had possessed the role of Shadow Man from like the 1920s in New York to, I want to say, during the Civil War uh, all the way back to like 2000 BC or something like that in Africa. So it was a really interesting very like time and space stretching idea and i really enjoyed that so diggle even though i still feel this is kind of like not his usual i don't know thief of thieves the losers green arrow year one sort of thing uh you know he's he's got the benefit of a doubt Mm -hmm. um packnadal is sort of a newer writer he's done some work for titan on like assassin's creed and doctor who he's done stuff for boom like original things called arcadia and turncoat recently he's doing that book for vault called friendo which i guess is oh, friendo is supposed to be really amazing. well received apparently yeah 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 and like brathwaite i don't need to go into him he's a he's a fucking legend if you don't know doug brathwaite look him up he's done some amazing <laughs> stuff like bloodshot usa imperium mm-hmm. armor hunters so, like, what's the deal with Incursion, though? Basically, we've actually got Eternal Warrior back, which is huge. Glad Anipata 
as he's otherwise known, uh, has been dead since October of 2015, when he died at the end of Book of Death. Uh, and he was dead until a few months ago when he showed up again in Ninja K. Basically, we have a problem because this lady called Imperatrix Virago has figured out that the dead side isn't just a place where souls go uh, after people um, die, but that basically it also has doors that open to different worlds, and she's basically used it as a uh, subway of sorts to hop around between these worlds and take them over. And she's got sort of like an advanced guard character, and yes, it starts to have a bit of a setup that feels an awful lot like Galactus, Galactus and the Silver Surfer. Sure. So, it should be interesting. It's only four issues. I don't think it's going to overstay its welcome. It's nice to have this character back. I think it's a solid artist, and in terms of, like, faith in Valiant, this sort of is a, for me, it's a well-needed shot in the arm. So, Cool. I, I have so many questions about a lot of the things you said about this book. Yeah, there were some nouns in there that I mean, it's just a, <laughs> basically it was like you know you if you if you were following along with your Mad Lib book at home, you were just jotting in all of these insane things as <laughs> as I went along, and that's that's fine. Um, I mean, there there begs a I think we need a valiant like. <laughs> episode where you just explain what the fuck is going on in some of these books because i mean i've read some of the valiant books i've enjoyed a lot of the valiant books that i've read but i I wonder if there are listeners out there who are just like i don't read any of this what what is he talking about i'm i'm more worried that there's a listener out there who's like "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm-hmm right right of course and then (laughs) just actually starts like arguing with me on like the finer parts of canon and i'm just never hearing that so yeah bring it to the goodreads group we'll have we'll have some fights there there Uh, are (laughs) some real valiant fans in there There, i'll tell you what there's a couple it's great i know those guys are fantastic anyways before we dive too deep into that paul what are you excited (laughs) for this upcoming week (laughs) um yeah just to um just to say, I have no idea what you're talking about, Nick, and it's pretty great to hear you explain things, and I have zero idea. I thought I knew what Valiant was. I guess I don't, but... Uh, <laughs> if you want to know what it. Valiant is, and you want and, and you want me to show you, then yeah. Mm, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Um, um, I have a pretty light week this week in terms of books coming out. Um, the big one for me is GoBots number 4 by Tom mm-hmm. Seeley. I've talked mm-hmm. about this book a bunch. You know it's great. I know it's going to be great. There's no reason for me to tell you... Any more than that, go read it. You know, GoBots is awesome. Despite all the yes. humans being dead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think there's only five issues, so I literally have no idea how it's going to end. So it's, it's so exciting to yes. see that stuff. Um, so, yeah, in, in addition to that, I did notice that DC is putting out a collection of stories written by Len Wein. Uh, so this oh. DC Universe by Len Wein. That's something I'm going to definitely want to check out because Len Wein is, you know, a legendary creator. He passed away. I think two years ago or last year, not last year, but two years ago, um, mm-hmm. a legendary creator at DC. He were, he, you know, created Swamp Thing. He, you know, also co-created a character you might've heard of called Wolverine for those other guys. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> um, but he worked on a ton of DC stuff in the seventies. He wrote for, uh, issues of Phantom Stranger. He had a pretty legendary run on Justice League of America. He wrote action comics for a long time. Obviously Swamp Thing, he wrote a bunch. And I've only read a small fraction of his stuff. I've only really read uh, The Untold Legend of the Batman, which I'm on record as saying is my favorite and the best Batman comic ever. Um, And I've also read a handful of his Swamp Thing issues. But this seems to collect a lot of the Justice League and action comic stuff and Phantom Stranger stories. So it's something I'm definitely going to want to check out. And it does run the whole gamut of his careers. I think it starts with his first issue that he ever wrote for DC and then ends with um, the Swamp Thing Winter Special that came out 
I think last year after he passed, his last comic that he wrote. So he's a creator that I want to read more stuff by, and this looks like a good collection of his stuff. Awesome. That sounds that sounds exciting for anybody that's trying to dive into some old backstory stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, cool. Well, for me this week, I you know I was going to plug another X-Men book. I said that I was going to. I won't. But Age of X-Men, The Amazing Nightcrawler number one comes out. Um, my only notes for this are, let's just keep this train a-moving, baby, because uh, I'm excited. <laughs> um, Hulk Vereen's number one comes Ooh. out this week. I don't know what the fuck that is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm it's too scared to dive in. <laughs> what's the word? Portmanteau? Yes. Um, <laughs> I could do that with anything. Let's let's read. You shouldn't. Maybe <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't. Uh, but my actual pick this week is Wildstorm number 20. This is Warren Ellis and John Davis Hunt. The final arc of this series is kicked off, I think. We're, I believe this whole series is supposed to be 24 issues. And yeah. I just read number 19 today. And... There basically, the I feel like nineteen was a prelude to what's coming in issue twenty, like the beginning of the end of this series. Whatever crazy wild shit Warren Ellis has planned is all coming to a point now, and there was a lot of very fun DC jokes in issue nineteen for anyone that was reading. Like Darkseid is apparently a villain in a movie series within the Wildstorm universe. Wonder Woman is like a comic book character. Like the the whole DC universe is like a comic book in this world. It's a joke. It's it's all fiction. And yet we're seeing characters that have definitely shown up in the DC universe in Wildstorm. So I'm I'm curious to see how it all plays out. Uh the whole bits with aliens and stuff. This book is so mind-blowing. I I I just don't know what to say about it. So I'm I'm very excited to see how this book plays out. I'm a sucker for Warren Ellis. We're going to talk about that more after the break. But uh like yeah, this this book series is is wild, and it makes me think that I need to go back and reread Warren Ellis's run on Stormwatch and Authority, just so that I can come back to this and actually maybe appreciate it a little bit more than I did the first time through. So I'm I'm excited to see where this book starts to go when it comes to the end. Yeah, I have not seen a book as well paced and as well plotted as this yeah, I agree. in a long, long time. Like. When they said, like, right at the beginning, this is going to be 24 issues, that's the plan, I was like, hmm, interesting, let's, you know, let's see how this plays out, and yeah, I've, I've just been nothing but impressed with that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very clear that Warren Ellis had this whole story plotted out from the get-go, and I think even the stuff with Michael Cray that tied in was partially planned, because the mm-hmm. bits with Michael Cray um, in the secondary series, you know, the Wildstorm Michael Cray, was definitely played back into the second arc i believe the end of the second arc so it's it's really impressive it's it's such a great thing to see when you're like all right this whole story is playing out from beginning to end we're not going to miss a month we're not we're just going to get this book out in two years i i think that's really impressive and yeah this book has been it's been a lot of fun even though it's it's very dense i can definitely say that i'm gonna have to read this at some point aren't i I mean, yes. it's, it's yes. very, I would really like to see someone else's take on this because I'm okay. like very, like seeing through, th- seeing things through rose colored glasses because I like, I'm going to read anything this dude puts out. Right. So I'm very biased to kind of roll with some of the punches a lot more than other people. And I know Warren Ellis, especially lately has, I think he hasn't been like everyone's like, oh, he's definitely doing some great stuff like he was maybe 10 years ago or 15 mm-hmm. years ago. Um, I think some of his stuff can be very hit or miss for people. I c- still consider it all really good. Like, I really okay. love his weird atmospheric shit that he does, like, with trees and that he was doing with Injection. Um, 
Injection, basically like a sequel to um, Planetary <laughs> in a lot of ways. Oh, sure. But yeah. uh, I think this book, to Nick's point, is very well paced and it feels like a super structured story from beginning to end. Like he knew how everything was going to tie together, um, like almost in a like a weird reflection of itself. So You, you okay. don't ever hit that issue of the book where you're like, all right, this is where everyone was like, like we need to take a break or I don't know where to take the story. Yeah. Like that doesn't exist here. And the fact that this book has had the exact same team from beginning to end, I'm pretty sure there have been no exceptions to that. I'm at mm-hmm. least certain John Davis Hunt has drawn every single issue and what a perfect choice he was for this book. Um, yeah. Okay. So, Let's, uh, let's take a break, and when we come back, we're going to just uh, fawn over all the creators that we love some more. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> perfect. It's fine. <laughs> Before we start this week's topic, I want to do two things. One, I want to shout out to Jeff for being an awesome backer on our Patreon. Thank you, Jeff, for your support. We cannot do some of the things that we want to do without your support, and we really appreciate that. And number two, did you guys uh, happen to see that we dropped a new series on Patreon? Because we're doing a new thing called Book versus Book. Nick and I sort of previewed it earlier, I guess late last year, but we're kind of, we're doing a whole new series on our Patreon that's two people talking about two different books that they picked for each other. So if you're not a Patreon backer, make sure you go over there, back our show, back our show, and you can get access to this brand new series, as well as all the other amazing stuff. I just sent out a ton of stickers to people. I just sent out a whole bunch of messages. We're going to buy some fun little trinkets at C2E2 this year, and we're going to mail those out to people. So make sure to go to our Patreon at patreon.com slash ircbpodcast and check that out. This book versus book series is going to be amazing. I already know the next two episodes are going to be, and they are top tier. Brian and Paul did the first episode, and it's amazing. And the next two are even better. So, enough with the Why does that self- say about Paul? Listen, yeah, self-flagellation. <laughs> Listen, I love hell? you guys, but you know, we've got some fucking amazing stuff. It's That's unbelievable true. that we could top ourselves, and we've done it. So, let's talk about what we're actually here to talk about this week. What makes you impulse buy a comic? Like, there's a ton of factors that go into you're walking into the shop or you're on Comixology, you're on Humble Bundle or you're somewhere and you're looking at comics and you go, you know what? I've never heard of this or I have heard of this. I'm just going to pick it up. It's not already on my poll, but I want to read it. What goes through your guys' heads when you're at a shop or online or something and you see something new and you're like, let's just try that. What what What's the factors that goes into that? Mm-hmm. Well, I think um, for a lot of people that have been buying comics, reading comics for a long time, you develop allegiances to certain creators. So if there's a new series by a creator that you already like, you're already going to buy that book. I mean, they have to me a bunch. I basically have a standing you know, order at my local shop that anything that Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips do, it's going to be in my pull box. <laughs> it doesn't matter <laughs> yeah. like what publisher it is, yeah. what the yeah. story is, those guys, they're always going to get pulled for me. And I think there's a familiarity there where if once you establish that with the creator... Um, it's easy to make that pull the trigger on those books. Uh, on the other hand, I know I'm um, a Grant Morrison apologist. Um, I'm willing to say that. <laughs> but there are books he's, he's put out that I, I've just skipped. You know, like, do I need to see Grant Morrison do a book about Santa Claus? Probably not. So I skipped that. Right, right. Maybe down the road I'll pick up the trade or read it, you know, through the library. But, you know, there's a fine line where it's, something's got to align where it's the the creator team or for me it's the artwork if the artwork isn't good it's not going to probably get picked up for me so that's kind of my back and forth is like sticking with creators i like or branching out trying some artwork that's you know exciting gotcha 
I mean, I'm I'm totally a sucker for Warren Ellis. I kind of said that before the break. <laughs> like right. anything that that guy puts out, I'm at least going to try the number one. And chances are, I'm just going to put it on my poll list. Uh, my, I mean, I shop at Midtown Comics because I'm a shill, and, uh, and not to say that they're not a fine establishment because they totally are. They're very very nice people, and um, that place they they do a lot to make sure that people get comics in their hands. But uh, I don't have any, like, established relationship with the people that work behind the cash, cash register that are like, hey, if this comes in, get it for me. Because, one, I'm trying to limit the number of books that I'm buying. And, two, it's like I'm not really too worried about missing out on a book because it's Midtown. But, right. uh, yeah, like, if there's a Warren Ellis book, I usually will see it, the solicitation, or I'll see something about it, and I'll just put it on my pull list there and make sure that it shows up. Or I'll subscribe to it on Comixology or something. It's it's I totally get that. But it's the thing that that is really interesting to me is going through like I don't know if you guys do this but I do this every once in a while like I'll walk just down the line of comics and see all the comics on the shelves and kind of go well I've I've never heard of that because I haven't followed the solicits in a while because I'm a total dummy but uh let's just pick up this random number one or I'll see something on comiXology and I'll be like you know what I like that cover or I like what this book looks like let's actually try it do you guys do that very often it, not as often as I used to, because as you mentioned, Mike, I'm, I'm trying to watch my budget and to uh, limit the number of books I have to store in my apartment or my, my house here, you know? Um, right, right. But it, there's a few th- times where it's worked for me in the past, you know, um, early this episode, I mentioned the Female Furies book number one. I was going to buy that based mm-hmm. on the character. That's another thing that being a DC fan, I'm sure you have it with the X-Men where if there are certain characters, if there's a book coming out, you're just going to try it. You know what I mean? Oh, like yeah. There's oh, like, yeah. like a Mirce Miracle book or a Big Barda book. I'm going to pick it up. A Martian Manhunter book, no matter how many different versions of that character that they do, I'm going to pick up a Martian Manhunter book. <laughs> yeah. You know, luckily they usually work out for me. I, you know, I, I talked about Female Furies early where it's like a book that might not work for me issue to issue, but I'm still curious about. Um, in terms of stuff that I'm completely unfamiliar with, I think the last book I really took a chance on and it worked for me was Cry Havoc. I'd never read anything by Cy Spurrier. Um, I knew I liked Ryan Kelly's artwork already, but that book, I flipped through it. I saw the gimmick with the three different colorists where you had different colorists for each segment of the story. Mm -hmm. That was interesting enough for me to grab issue one, and I stuck with it. I'm glad glad I did. So sometimes that pays off just picking something up off the shelf on a whim. Yeah. Nick, what about you? Well, I think something you guys touched on that definitely works for me, and I think... Uh, shop owners out there like get on this because this this is definitely a strategy you want to be taking advantage of um i find that there are certain books and i've talked about this a little bit before that i'm just sort of on the fence about if i go to my local shop or i go to like a bigger shop uh and i i enjoyed the last issue of it um then i'll just grab the next one these aren't books that are on my poll i just sort of if i'm still enjoying it i try to get my hands on the next one if i don't you know no big deal um, they're books that I'm I'm liking enough to keep reading, but not loving enough to put on my poll. And just if I start missing issues, then I just pick it up in, in trade or I pick it up in digital. Uh, but I'll tell you what works in terms of that. And that is like if there's a, you know, like I said, a book that I would call like a fence book and it's the last issue, like I'm probably going to take it. So out of just sheer fear of like <laughs> never finding it again. So right. like all of the shops that I frequent, if you have extra copies, like remove those before I, I come in. I'm pretty consistent <laughs> on the days I come in, relatively consistent on the times, pay attention. You'll figure out my routine and just remove the extra copies and just, 
you'll, you, I mean, you're not going to watch your finances soar, but you're going to make a few extra dollars for sure. You're um, going to get Nick is what it, what it is. This is if the you get put Nick me theory. in a pressure situation, I, I, I generally do horribly. This is just one scenario <laughs> where that happens. <laughs> If you've ever listened to me on this show, you've probably heard other ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Another one that's great is if you if you if you're like Comicsology and you send me a coupon and you're like, hey, this is a really sweet deal. It ends in two days. Get on this now. Now go to the website, find some stuff, throw it in the car. Here's the code. Here here's the code. Put the stuff in. You only have forty seven hours now. <laughs> what do you do? You're gonna miss out. You're gonna be the idiot. So yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it, that works too. Like if you if you like send me like a coupon with. 24 hours or whatever that usually tends to get me all worked up and and anxious of you know fear of missing out on comics so (laughs) well it's not like those digital comics are going to go away i think your your fear of missing out is just the price that is it's currently at which is discounted like three dollars or something they're in they're they're in that cloud and like if i don't take it from that cloud then um like someone else will so, <laughs> well, that raises sure. it. That I think ra- I think someone needs to explain the cloud to you, and like this show isn't the place for it. But oh, like, if I don't get it, someone else anyway. It's <laughs> go ahead, Paul. <laughs> I was going to say that that raises an interesting question. Um, where is it um, at times a price issue? Because you know, you're talking about sales. I have so many digital comics that I've never looked at that I bought in those sales. Oh, yeah. So I really have to limit myself at that point. And, I, you know, similarly, I have a long box full of comics I bought out of the dollar bin that I've never flipped through. I just was <laughs> digging through the dollar bin like, oh, that looks cool. Oh, Wild Dog? Sure. Or like, right. you know, yes. some old Wild random dog. DC stuff. Like, sure, I'll grab that. Yeah. I did read uh, Wild Dog. That is the one I read. But okay, I have random okay. issues of like Phantom Stranger, random issues of action comics, random Batman stuff, just stuff that like it's in the dollar bin. I'm going to buy a big stack or at a convention, I'm everyone's liquidating their stuff. They're selling the dollar books for like, you know, five for a buck. So right. I accumulate all this stuff. I never look at it. But part of the impulse is saying like, oh, there it is. It's this price. Okay. It's mine now. You know, yeah, and that's yeah. maybe not the healthiest way to buy stuff, but it does happen a lot for me. Well, I mean, that, that buildup is is really almost stressful in a way. Like, this is, <laughs> I don't know if you guys read my opening to the zine, which I realized probably needed an editor on it, but um, my opening to the zine for this that just came out, like, and I realized we didn't announce this on the show, the zine came out. You guys should go to oh, ircbpodcast.com yeah. right, right. slash zine and read it. I'm a total dingus and didn't announce it, but the opening that I talked about this whole thing that I've been trying since the beginning of the year, where, like, I'm reading at least one or two backlog items a week. Like, I'm trying okay. to clear out both my physical and digital backlog because I'm looking at the number and I'm looking at a shelf and I'm going, oh no, this whole bookcase, the top two shelves I haven't read, what is wrong with me, right? And it's it's a crazy thing because you end up in that situation, just like you described, Paul, where you're like, oh, I'll just grab these issues and, you know, it's fine, or I'll just grab these items that are on sale. It's $2 a trade for Marvel Trades right now. How can I pass that up? Right. You know, and and then you, you realize, oh no, now I have 400 backlog items that I need to read, or whatever the number <laughs> is, you know, and it, it's this weird pressure because you've also got your books coming out every week, you've also got the comics that you're like, oh, well, I was going to reread Doom Patrol anyway, so let's just do that on top of all the backlog stuff that you've got. It's right. it's a whole chaotic thing. Thing. And this this whole idea of impulse buying a comic only adds to that. But I mean, that's not what we're here to talk about. But I'm just saying, like, the pressure is real, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, I think part of the impulse is is that idea of like it's uh, something that's right in front of you. You know what I mean? Like, 
it's hard for me to track down stuff that even if I know there's good stuff out there, I don't go out of my way to track it down. But, you know, if my shop is stocking the, you know, the new image or the new vertigo trades at $10 a pop right in front of me, this is very easy to grab off the shelf is you know, something totally. that I would maybe wouldn't go out of my way to grab normally. Mm-hmm. So the impulse, that's why it's called an impulse buy. You see it and it's like, Oh yeah, I want that, you know? And at $10 a pop, those trades are pretty easy to make that decision on. So Yeah, I was just going to say, that's the thing. Image trades will get you every time with that, with that price point. Like, it's it's unbelievable. And I think it's a great model for them, you know, to say, like, hey, just try this. It's only 10 bucks, you know, and you're getting six-ish issues of content. And I know we've, like, talked to this, this concept to death on the show, but, like, that still works on me. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm an, which I'm makes it interesting been... that it seems that they're kind of moving away from that, but... Well, I think there's also like a, I think that was something that Image was really trying to do maybe like three or four or five years ago. Like I know that was sure. something we really talked about on the show when we first started it was like, yeah. holy cow, can you believe that Image is doing this? And I think they're moving away from that is kind of a reflection of the direction that comic creators are going where they're probably asking for a little bit more money not that it's undue because it Mm -hmm. absolutely is like comic creators i think are still pretty underpaid for the work that they put out right and the only answer to fix that is to increase the price of comics or something like i don't know the answers i'm not an economist and jim zub is the person you actually want to talk to about this go to his site he's got article after article about this but well off offhand it does feel like and i don't want to speculate no no, go ahead go for it you know around this topic at end but it really does feel like when you're seeing the books that are still remaining and i'd really have to look into this more but again this is just my feeling when you see the books that are remaining it with opening volumes at 9.99 right now and the ones that are shifting up to 12.99 or 14.99 it does feel like the more established creators mm-hmm. are the ones that are having the higher price points oh sure and sure. that i mean it makes it makes perfect sense right i mean that's just it adds up but that's that's just kind of what i've noticed which um you know sometimes an extra when you're making trying to make an when you're making an impulse decision an extra four dollars kind of kicks you out of impulse mode pretty yeah pretty quickly you know that's that's partially been like a blocker for me in some cases like some of the vault books in collected edition some of the um black mask books in collected edition the price point's usually a little bit higher but at the same time I can I usually argue with myself and say but it's critically acclaimed or like it's got such great reviews like it's probably worth that price point but it does make me second guess my impulse buy because there are books out there that are coming out like Wasted Space or Friendo or you know these other books that I think have been very highly regarded as as like Vault is really kicking butt with these books and yeah. yet I'm a little bit blocked because I don't see their books on sale or I don't see their trades coming out at like they're coming out at 20 bucks like and that's what it is. But I think that's Black Mask and that's Vault trying to do right by their creators and saying, like, we're not going to discount your stuff and make sure that you guys take a hit. We want to make sure you guys get fully paid. And they're, they're a much smaller shop, and I'm sure their production costs are a little bit higher because they don't have whatever bulk discounts you may get from being a Marvel or an Image or a Boom or something like that. Right. So the question then I have then is... um. If you see these trades and the price point is just on the edge there where it's, it could go either way, is there something that tips your hand toward buying it? You know, is there something that that would make you buy it versus not? I mean, sure. For me, yeah. I've just been killed by art and I've been like, this is right. too beautiful yeah. to pass up. Like, no joke. Yeah. The if in, if the art in the book or like the synopsis like really gets me, I'm I'm a sucker. I'm in. Like, 
Mm-hmm. If O Human Star, like that's a five dollar trade. The book that I was talking about that I read recently, if that was twelve bucks, fifteen, I probably still would have bought it because the concept is too cool to pass up. Yeah. Like I'll just say that. You know, but there are cases where that price point can like outweigh it. But uh, Nick, I'll let you go. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a shallow bastard, so I'm a sucker <laughs> for like is the back matter good? Is there actual mm. back matter in gotcha. the book? Okay. Does it have a beautiful spot gloss cover that like a lot of boom books tend to have or an image image trade, you know, tends to have things like that. Um because ultimately like and this is something i've noticed like impulse buying is not something that goes away the longer you're in comics which you would think you would yeah. think i mean you, you can say ha ha nick you're you're a capitalist consumer you know cradle to grave it doesn't change but my point is that like you think the more you're involved in comics you're like wow i'm more of a savvy consumer now i know not to fall for these things i know that these books that i bought when i was you know younger were stupid i'm i'm growing up i'm an adult but really um, impulse buying just shifts where it is. It just basically turns into something else. And so for me, like a lot of my impulse buying when I was a younger reader was was stupid trades. And now it's just me saying, I don't have room for more trades. I don't have room for more single issues. And so it's just gravitated into um, dig- <laughs> digital. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. It, it, it doesn't yeah. go away. It just It just finds its way into something else. And, and like, that's the other thing I think for me, and this is just me overthinking things. Uh, but like, for me, when I look at a trade, a lot of the time, like a physical trade, like in my mind, I can't help it, but I just mentally break it down to how much I'm paying per issue. (laughs) And if I'm paying more per issue for the trade versus singles, like that almost becomes a bit of a deal breaker in its own right for me. Sure. Like, at that point, you have to bring more things to the table. Because, like, I felt like it used to be one of the quote-unquote rewards of being, I don't know, patient or waiting for the trade was that, generally speaking, because you had to wait and everyone else got the story first, you were rewarded with a lower price point. And depending upon the publisher, I feel that's just not, that's just not true. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you got to bring other stuff to the table. Otherwise, right. That's where the back matter comes in and all that okay. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Yeah. Interesting. That's, that's very pragmatic, Nick. So. <laughs> yeah. It's like excessively, like, I feel like it's just me going around with like a checklist and clearly we're talking about something that's ineffable and yeah. aesthetics and art. And I'm like, well, 3.97, you know, dollars, Per issue, this is clearly not something that satisfies, you know, me on a marginal level. Sure, sure. um, I can appreciate that. Whereas for me, it's definitely artwork. I mean, there's been a lot of books that um, have had a lot of buzz about them, creators that, you know, I I even like that if I flip the first few pages and the art doesn't grab me, I'm not going to buy it. You know, I'll I'll wait Mm -hmm. till it shows up on Hoopla or something. And then on the other hand, there's stuff that I'll buy the hardcover trade when it comes out, sight unseen, because I know it's going to look nice. I mean, at this point, pretty much, if Box Brown puts out a book, I'm going to buy it. You yeah, know what I mean? I mean it's, and that's an investment, you know, at that point. Yes. And then uh, Lisa Hanawalt, it's another one. I mean, I bought the new Lisa Hanawalt book, sight unseen, uh, Coyote Dog Girl. I'm like, oh, there it is. It's, I think it was, you know, maybe 20 bucks as a hardcover or 24 bucks. No problem. You know, yeah. so it's, for me, it's that ineffable sort of, I like the artwork enough. The price isn't really an option at that point. I'm not going to break down like, well, it's only this many pages. 
you know, the press, <laughs> yeah, press page yeah. and stuff. So yeah. Yeah, for me, it's always going to be, since comics are a visual medium, it's got to be artwork that, that I, you know, I vibe with that makes me buy it. Yeah, I mean, I'll, and then to go along that I, that same route, I mean, like, it doesn't hurt that if you have someone's recommendation. Like, I talk about, you oh, know, sure. it's it's really easy to 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 just pick up a book on impulse and say, oh, this looks nice. But if if you don't go to the shop every week, like, I don't go to the shop every week. I probably go every other week. And if I hear someone talk about a book, like, either on this show or if I hear someone talk about elsewhere, like on Twitter, maybe there's a lot of buzz about something. Maybe I'll consider a book that came out last week and pick it up. Or I'll go on Comixology and say, oh, yeah, I'll put that on my wish list and maybe wait for it to go on sale or just pick it up outright. You know, like, yeah. especially if there was a trade that came out of a collected edition of something that I knew already had a lot of buzz. You know, mm-hmm. I'll, if, so, if a lot of people are talking about it, like... I want to be in on the know, right? It's that FOMO thing. It's it's the same kind of thing. Um, but I I don't know. It's It does help to get personal recommendations. Like, no joke, I don't think I would have ever picked up this Andre the Giant book if Paul hadn't recommended it. And like, mm-hmm. now I'm in the same boat as you, Paul. If Box Brown is putting out a comic, I'm buying it. There's no right. question about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there are other creators that are like that or, that put out OGNs that I'm just like, yeah, no, no problem. I'm just going to pick this up full price. I don't even need to wait. I just want to read it. I think so. And another point that that raises in my mind is that I find myself more willing to be impulsive on OGNs versus trades because yes. I primarily yeah. read stuff yes. in, in single issues. So, yeah, okay. You kind of agree, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, <laughs> trades, it, like, go so ahead. Go ahead. The Mike. thing about OGNs that always gets me is that there's, in my mind, there have been very few original graphic novels that I picked up that have been like, oh, that was trash. Right. right? Like, it's. Yeah. I feel like with an original graphic novel, there is usually something bigger there. Like you, it's it's one thing to pitch a series that kind of needs popularity and has, is serialized and stuff. And I'm not trying to like degrade the serialization of comics because that's not mm-hmm. what I'm doing here. But I'm saying like with an OGN, there's like a lot of investment into one big deliverable. And I feel like something like that is usually really really honed by the creator. And maybe the publisher comes in to step in and try to make things work. But I think it's most of the creator. And so they're putting in a ton of work and time and effort, similar to like a prose novel. Like there are bad prose novels out there, but a lot of the times. I feel like maybe this is just me being optimistic. You come out of books and you kind of go, there were some things that weren't great, but overall it was good. And I feel like with mm-hmm. original graphic novels, it's at another level, right? Like the art has to be very good. The, the writing and the story has to be very, very good. Like, And everything's usually done by one, maybe two people. And so the outcome of that book is actually like usually of a higher quality than maybe you'd get from single issues. And that's, again, I'm not trying to degrade ser- single issues, no, no. but things can definitely waver with those kinds of stories. Whereas an OGN has to be like very on from beginning to end. Otherwise the OGN doesn't work, you know, extra, extra right. read all about it. Mike Rappin sets hierarchy of comics. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Sure. Whatever. I, I, I love don't read that filth. Novel. He said, throwing like, all of his X-Men <laughs> issues in the trash. Yeah. 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 <laughs> This is the same guy who's definitely buying all the X-Men comics that are coming out right now, unabashedly. So, <laughs> whatever. I, I, I think that like both of those types of delivery systems for comics work, but I always feel like original graphic novels have a little bit more polish sometimes. That's that's all I'm getting at. And, and there's mean, all... Oh, and there, sorry, Nick. I was going to say, there's also something for me about a lot of that, if it's the artwork I'm getting, it's artwork I want to have a physical copy of as opposed to reading digitally. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, I agree. An OGN, right. like, it looks nice. You know, it's got artwork I like. I put it on my bookshelf so people can see it as opposed to putting it in a long box, which you'll probably right. never see the light of day again. You know, right. so that's the difference there as well. 
and, and when it comes to impulse buys for those, usually it's like you get sold by picking up that book, mm-hmm. looking at a couple pages, maybe flipping through the whole book and going like, cool, I could get on board for, you know, 150, maybe 400 pages, depending on the OGN. Like, yeah. I can pay the, the higher price point of maybe like 25 bucks. Like, Jeff Lemire's Roughneck, that's a book that is humongous, and it's like 30 bucks, but like, it's a whole story. It's a huge book, and it's a whole story from beginning to end, and it's going to look great on your bookshelf, easy to pick up. Now, that's Jeff Lemire, but, you know, I've picked up, like, The Long Walk to Valhalla, which is an OGN from Boom Studios, I believe, and it's it's a whole story. That I won't go into the whole spoilers of it because I feel like there's a lot of reveal, but um, I saw that on the shelf, never heard of it before, just picked it up. I thought it looks really nice. I really like the way they played with color in this, and I picked it up full price. No big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, like, that <laughs> feels really bragging and i'm not trying to brag like i have money to do that but like what i'm saying <laughs> they were like is sir it's 50 percent off and i was like no full price <laughs> yeah no I it's mean, worth it you're worth it what i'm getting at is like the impulse was easy because the book looked completed i got to see what everything was and it was an easy purchase you know i didn't it didn't take a lot of convincing there yeah I'm trying to think of an example of that. And the one I come back to is I remember being in a shop once uh, here in Grand Rapids where they have a bunch of trades on the wall. And I'm just kind of walking through the aisles, just kind of looking for something to grab my attention. There's a book called Babies in Black. Uh, it's by Arn Bellstorff. And it's a book about Stuart Sutcliffe, who was the original bass player for the Beatles, who left the band in like 1961 to become an artist in Germany. So it's like, I'm walking the shop, I'm like, that's a comic book about the Beatles. I'm going to buy it. There was like mm-hmm. l- literally no thought involved. I'm like, oh, I like this artwork. It's about the Beatles, sold. You know, I mean, right. sometimes it's all it takes, but they have to have the book in front of you for that to happen. I had no idea that book existed until I saw it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's what happened when I walked in and they had a special local comic shop um, day variant uh, trade of secret weapons with a special David Matt cover. Yeah. I was like, Nick, <laughs> you own this in singles. You own this in digital. You actually already own the hardcover trade. And I was like, yeah, but this one has a David Matt cover. It's totally different. <laughs> what is it called? It doesn't matter what it costs. Uh, hello, yeah. cashier. Um, that happened to me with four kids walking to a bank. I think I saw the local comic book shop day edition of it. And I was seriously, like, oh, this fuck is a those stupid... things. I'll tell you why fuck those things. I was over at the shop yesterday. They have a special cover for gosh is it is it aliens defiance no it's um what's the other one running dust to dust they have a variant of a number one dust to dust that's done by stoko oh boy (laughs) and it looks like his dead orbit work but it's for dust to dust and they have it's 12 dollars, and i was like fuck you when i have more money and then i hit it between a couple of the other comics um (laughs) for dust to dust so no one please go to my shop it's it's waiting for me for when i have the money we will have nick's shop address in the show notes um we expect everyone to go there and find that guys it's right next to the other like number ones or whatever it's just not where it was okay it's just a little less front and center i'm not you know (laughs) <laughs> one of the other things that like i think bugs me about trades and i think this is like minor roses shining front and center is like i fucking hate it when trade dress changes what do you mean like you know how like when you line them up and the spine suddenly look oh. different because the publisher has decided they're going with a different aesthetic 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I've got that. Oh, I've had that in a couple issues. Yeah. God. Or volumes, I should say. All of my, I have all of Transmetropolitan in trade, and I think after volume eight, I started to pick up a different edition, and I didn't realize it. So the spines don't line up, and it drives me crazy when I look yeah. at it. Like right now, they're hidden behind a bunch of manga volumes, just so that I don't have no to. No one at can it. see my shame. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, hey, Mike, have you read Transmetropolitan? Oh yeah. Just don't look for it on my just, shelf. Just volumes one through seven. Ignore the other. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Those were misprints that I accidentally picked up. Uh. <laughs> then the other one that like bugs me is when I start collecting a book in trade, and then they decide to uh, change the like. For example, like Lazarus, you can collect in singles, you can collect in digital, you can collect in trades, or you can collect in omnibuses. Right. Or like Walking Dead, I think there's like f- three different trade tiers that the book is yeah. published in, and yeah, like. Yeah. I, I hate it when like I, I collect it one way and then I realize maybe I would have preferred it the other way or whatever. So oh, yeah, I, I bought Saga Volume One and I was like, why didn't I just wait for the big book editions to come out? Because oh. those look so much nicer on your shelf. Yeah. <laughs> Oddly enough, I found myself way more comfortable to impulse buy trades when the series or whatever it is is done. Oh yeah. Because like yeah, at that then you point, know I'm like, the number that you're actually getting invested yeah. in. <laughs> yeah, here's everything continuity wise. It all looks the same, um, and and I don't have to worry about the sort of weird changes and, and foibles that come with um, a serialized book that you're getting in trade. So me. let me let me pose a question to you guys, as you know, esteemed comic reading veterans. <laughs> um, <laughs> do you guys still get sucked into covers? That like to say, hey, let's try this number one. Look at that cover. Do, does that still happen to you guys? I'll do you one worse. Actually, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> hey, have you ever been like sucked in where like it's number three of a series and you just think the cover's pretty and you're maybe gonna read the issue, but maybe not because it's number three. But it's like a Tula Lote cover and it's like this looks great. <laughs> And it goes in your pretty covers boxes of issues you probably won't read. <laughs> I mean. I do that sometimes. I still yeah. buy random one-off covers because I think they look nice. I guess what I'm asking is, do you guys get sucked into like a number one that you've never heard of that just because of the cover art, and then like maybe try to read it, maybe continue it? Has that has that happened to you recently? I yeah, and it's it's bizarre because even sometimes like the rational part of you, obviously, if you've read comics just a little bit, even though this is less of a problem now. The rational part of you goes, hey, guess what? Interior art probably doesn't look the same. Sure, sure, Maybe sure. I better go take a look-see. You open it up, you flip through the interior art. It's not bad, but it's definitely not the same thing. And I feel like something like, for example, like Alice, Alex Ross books with, an, with <laughs> books with an Alex Ross cover, yeah. right? Like, you automatically, like, you know... You just guard yourself uh, for the fact that, you know, when you flip that opening cover, it's not going to be anything like right, it. Right, right. Um, but my point being that even then, sometimes you'll flip it open and you're like, okay, the art's not the same. I still want to read this book. And I guess in that sense, the cover works because it actually, it, it drives you to actually open up the book beyond it. Right. And so... I guess that counts for something. It definitely worked for me with with Fire and Stone. Uh, the covers were awesome, and mm-hmm. I flipped it open and I gave it a chance. And um, and yeah. everyone can go listen to our Fire and Stone mini so to see how obsessed Nick is with that series versus Planetary. <laughs> um, yeah, so, check it out. Uh, <laughs> book book. But uh, Paul, what about you? Does that I still happen to you? I don't find myself doing that that often. I honestly can't remember the last time I picked up a book totally you know blind, other than the cover 
Um, I think, you know, Nick hinted at it. My biggest thing is like, if it's a really pretty cover and I pick it up and the interior artwork is different, I'm mm-hmm. probably not going to buy it. You know what I mean? So, because I'm such like a, a sucker for beautiful artwork or unique oh, sure. artwork. So, and I honestly can't remember that the cover really being the the thing that made me pick up a book, you know, to the point where I picked it up and bought it. There's definitely right. been points where I've seen a cover. I think I was at the shop and um, the new Buffy series was on the shelf and I didn't oh, yeah. know. Right. The covers are so pretty on that. Dude, Kevin Wada, he fucking nailed it with of that course. series. Oh my gosh. Okay. So yeah, I saw the cover, like, ooh, what is this? I didn't even look at the t- name of the comic. I'm like, ooh, what is this? I flipped it, I'm like, oh, it's a Buffy the Vampire Slayer comic? <laughs> no thanks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's funny, though, because I think that, you know, I, I've done this before, where I've, I've picked up comics and have been like, oh, this number one looks pretty. Um, like, that happens to me. I do that just because I'm a sucker, and I, I read it, and I go, well, maybe I'll just wait. But uh, I think, you know, it's funny that even... Even after reading comics for a really, really long time, like we still hold to this this thing that if the cover doesn't match the interior, it's like a deterrent from actually buying it. I mean, yeah. I don't think I would be disappointed as a comic reader to pick up an Alex Ross Amazing Spider-Man comic and then open it up and find Ryan Otley drawing it because I love Ryan Otley's stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, I do wonder if if you know people are pushed that much. Like I think we obviously we are. Maybe new readers are the same way. Um, I know that's just like a, it's funny that that's still like a thing that affects all comic readers. It doesn't matter how long you've been reading. Like if the cover art doesn't match the interior, you're going to be a little bit disappointed. Exactly. <laughs> Unless you right. know going into it, like Tula Lote definitely is not on whatever book, you know, that's, that's fine. But we know that versus someone who doesn't necessarily read comics all the time. I think like, what was her last ongoing? Was it seven or blue rose? Whatever that I book think, was. I think yeah. it was. Yeah. Um, still, that's it's just funny. I just was curious because I, I I still do that every once in a while. I, I'll pick up a number one just because I think it looks nice or or whatever. But like, it's funny because if you look at something like Criminal, right? Criminal number one came out, and the cover for that, still done by Sean Phillips, does not right. look like the interior, even though it's also Sean Phillips. But right. it's him oh, using that, like a yes. think about it. Like it's yes. really funny. That is the, an interesting phenomenon. The style's yeah. the same. But it's definitely Sean Phillips painting versus Sean yeah. Phillips drawing, which I think or, is really interesting. Or even sometimes you have those artists that when they just have more time to work on their art, like their art sort of tr- like turns onto a different like level, like it's a different tier of their art when they're right. just given sort of transforms into something different. I don't know. Like I, I still see, like you talked about Tulalote, and I still see that sometimes... Like, even just the cover artist can do a really good job of, like, setting the tone for the book, even if, obviously, they don't um, do the interior artwork. Yeah. And, of course, if if the book decides to keep that cover artist around for just sort of continuity between, you know, instead yeah. of just shuffling them, I, I, I think that that has its own, um, you know, has its own value as well, yeah. I, I suppose. Um, mm-hmm. so. I think, like, that's the reason that I kept going back to Euthanauts, right? Like, Paul, I know you, mm-hmm. I think you told me, you were talking about that at one point on the show, and I was like, oh, man, I should really go back and read that. And, like, um, man, like, the covers for that book, I definitely one of my favorite covers of 2018, issue number three of that series, yeah. um, with the skull astronaut, like, that is just phenomenal. No, it's not the same as the interior art, but I think, Nick, to your point, it definitely sets the tone for that issue um, <laughs> in a way that's like, this is going to be grim and crazy, and it's going to blow your fucking mind, and that's exactly what Euthanauts <laughs> is. Um, so, I do appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I always just, sometimes I like the juxtaposition 
because what you're getting is sort of like instantaneously like a, a variation on a theme, if you will. Sure. You know, a different interpretation, which is like, that's always been like one of my biggest reasons that I, I really enjoy variant covers is that it's it's an opportunity for, for someone else to come in and show their, their take on things. So definitely. Mm-hmm. Again, like the the obviously the bottom line being like as long as you are aware of and maybe that needs to be like part of the terms and agreements when you read a comic. Like I understand <laughs> sign this big twenty page document before you I open understand this comic. that not every page in this book that was done over a month does not look like an Alex Ross painting. Right. Um, right. To which I would say, Thank God. <laughs> sign me up now. Uh, <laughs> I'm just gonna go bury Kingdom myself come, in my kingdom. Can come suck book. It. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, cool. I guess um do you guys have any final thoughts about impulse buying i mean i guess we could wrap it up here i'm gonna say we're running out of tape there's no such thing as digital tape it just doesn't exist (laughs) um but (laughs) any final thoughts i think we've been um pretty honest about our our buying habits i also just want to reiterate that it's always worth taking a chance on a comic you know i'm a big proponent of especially i'm a big proponent of jumping onto a series even if it's not a number one you know if something looks appealing and it's interesting to you you know and, and you have the extra three or four bucks in your pocket that week, take a chance on a comic, you might be surprised. I think, I think taking a chance is something that we need to do more as comic book readers. I agree. Yeah, I, I would definitely say, you know, being the core hypocrite here, there's, there's nothing wrong with, with following through on people giving you recommendations. Um, it's definitely something that I would recommend. It's, it's really a win-win. If, if they're right, you get to read a great book. And if they're wrong, you get to hold that over them for however long <laughs> you want to. I, I don't understand people that aren't opposed to reading recommendations. I mean, that's how do you lose in that scenario? Yeah, so, well, there, so. there, there is something to be said about that in terms of you could, I mean, you're losing time out of your life, right? But oh, I'm also, listen, but I'm also of the opinion that, like, there is always something to take away from a comic to a certain extent, yeah, right? Like, well, I don't totally. think you're going to pick up something like, I, I don't mean to bash on a whole publisher, but, you know, some of, some of those Xenosigo books that are out there maybe don't aren't full of, like, awesome gems. But at the same time, sure. there's always something to take away from a comic book. Like, the way that someone's telling a story, may it may not look the way that you like, but there is something always to take away from a comic, good or bad. There, I think a lot of, yeah, yeah, I think a lot of times you can learn a lot more by reading a bunch of sevens than reading a bunch of tens. Yeah. I mean, even going so far as to read a book that is notoriously bad, you know, like yeah. there, there is some value in read. Like this is just like watching a bad movie or a bad TV show. You know, you can always take away something from it that is positive and is going to enrich you in the comics experience. So I like to go off of this whole thing, like take a chance on something yeah. and just try read. to enjoy it with whatever, with whatever capability that you can. That's read bad comics guys. <laughs> read read comics in general. That's okay. that's pretty much the message here. So let's all get off our soapboxes <laughs> and remind people that they should go read the zine. It's out there. I want to reiterate. I forgot to plug it, so I'm double plugging it this episode. Go read the zine, ircbpodcast.com slash zine, or you can go to our store and you can buy a physical copy and I'll mail you one with a bunch of stickers. So to wrap up, you can follow us all on Twitter. You can follow Nick at Death Star Plans. You can follow Paul at Oh Hi Pauly. You can follow me at Mike Rappin. And you can follow the show at IRCB Podcast, where we post all sorts of stuff. I've scheduled so many cool things, and I'm so excited for the stuff that we have coming over the next couple of months. We're going to go to C2E2 and record a bunch of stuff. We're going to play a bunch of tabletop games because we're nerds. It's going to be amazing. The next couple months are going to be fantastic for this show. I'm so excited. And if you've got the time, go ahead, check out our Goodreads group. We have weekly threads and book of the month discussion 
discussions. Recently, I posted some stuff on there about Umbrella Academy and wanted to know people's thoughts on that. If you've got some thoughts on that, I'd love to hear it. Beyond that, we have some very active what have you been reading threads that have some fantastic hey, yes, recommendations. Yes. And boy, oh boy, are people talking a ton and making tons of progress on our recommended reads list for the year. So yeah. honestly, mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff going on there. Check it out. Also, we've got our website, ircbpodcast.com. It's got a pronunciation guide. Probably at some point it'll have the guy whose name I botched from Incursion on there. We also have merch. We have stickers. We have shirts, all sorts of other things like that. It would be a great thing for you to go and take a look at. Also, I'd like to recommend that you go and rate and subscribe and tell your friends about our show. You can go ahead and do that over on iTunes. Also, just tell your friends about the show. Share it in whatever capacity you can. It really, really uh, helps. It yeah, helps. absolutely. If you have any comments, questions, uh, jokes, or you know, uh, vegan chili recipes you'd like to share with the show and us, you can email us at ircb at destroythesibe.org. We've mentioned the Patreon on the show. It's patreon.com slash ircbpodcasts. You know it's over there. Exclusive audio, articles written by us, a bunch of other stuff. You can get stickers in the mail from Mike. He'll touch every sticker and mail it to you <laughs> with a loving touch and a gaze before he puts it in the envelope. I will. I will do that. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Infinity Shred does all the music for our show. They are the best band in the universe. We can't thank them enough for letting us use their music. Xander is a true wizard. He's a great friend. He's a, just a fantastic person to know. He also edits the show i want to say thank you to paul and nick for being on the episode thank you to everyone out there who interacts with us on the show who's everyone who's super active on the goodreads group it's so much it's so fulfilling to watch people like interact with our show and love it as much as we do so thank you and until next time comics are good and so are you